This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. So if you're brand new with us, it's going to look a little differently this evening. We've been going through this journey that we're calling Future Family. And Future Family basically has this premise. We all have an idea of what we want our family to look like in five years in 10 years, in 15 years. And here's how you know that. Because when you think about Christmas in five years, you you have a picture in your head of what you want that morning to look like. Who's there, how they're interacting. That is our future family. So for the last number of weeks, we've been painting a picture and giving a vision for how to achieve the family that God would desire for us. Not just a good family, but a great family as we look forward. And tonight we have the privilege of having our senior pastor, Ron, and his wife, Monica, share with us their story about how they raised their family because they had a vision for what they wanted their family to look like. And their their vision was countered to what a lot of people, both in the church and outside of the church, said that they wanted for their families. But Ron and Monica got some great results. All three of their kids still like them, still love them. All three of their kids still love God, and their grandkids all love God. They have results that any of us would want. And here's what I want to say to you just as we get ready to jump in. You might be here with young kids, and you're thinking, thank goodness, I'm so excited about this. Uh, You might be here with older kids thinking, oh, man, I'm going to have to look back and maybe face some stuff. That's okay. You might be here, and you don't have kids yet, or your kids have grown and gone. But I can tell you this. Wherever you are on the journey, your life impacts families around you. You're an aunt. You're an uncle. You're a brother. You're a sister. You're a son. You're a daughter. And if we're intentional and if we take the information we're learning tonight and apply it to the people around us, we can help shape future families all over the place. So here's what I'd like us to do. Would you join me in giving a big welcome to two of my best friends, Ron and Monica? Thank you, Kevin. And uh, for those of you who have not met Monica, yeah. This actually is Monica. I do have a wife. How's that? I there don't you go. have a name tag. I'm I, sorry about that, guys. And I want to say one other thing about Monica. Um, and Be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to dealing with young children, in all my years of ministry, I have never met anyone who was more skilled at working with young children than Monica is. No. Absolutely outstanding. <laughs> It's a tall pedestal. Yeah, right. Yes, it is. So uh, we're going to give you just a tiny bit of backstory about us, and then we're going to jump into a whole bunch of stuff. It's going to be a little bit like getting a drink out of a fire hydrant. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to take lots of notes Mm -hmm. and do it quickly. And and a lot of stuff we're not going to be able to back up with a bunch of stories and detail and that sort of thing. But we are going to hang around for Q&A afterwards. And so you can ask uh, your questions then. Uh, I grew up in a home that was a very peaceful home. My father was a pastor. I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, I never ever heard my father speak in anger to anyone. Never heard him raise his voice. So the mood in our home was very stable, very peaceful, and so forth. It was not a perfect home. Uh, In in my home of origin, we didn't talk about problems. And uh, that that created its own problems. Uh, But uh, in terms of it being peaceful and quiet, very peaceful and quiet and and very much a faith-based home. Monica's home was similar in some ways, but different. She'll tell you about that. Well, we decided this morning, first service that we did, having in common that our folks didn't yell. That was not a habit of the home. Um, our home was peaceful because we all went to our room and stayed in there. So <laughs> that was because 
It was not a functional, a good functional home. Um, but my mother was uh, became a Christian when she was in high school, and she had a, I mean, just a, a just such a conviction and such a heart for God that she carefully read the Bible to us and prayed with us every night till I left for college. And it didn't matter if we begged that we needed to get our homework done. That just wasn't a bargaining chip. Uh, nope, this is what we do, and we're going to do it. And that gave me an amazing education. And um, just as a child, watched her feel so strong about that. Uh, my father um, actually had a very um, strong belief and very good knowledge of God. But um, his choices made our life extremely difficult to the point where I was in a different school every year of my life, and a couple of them, two different schools, in one year. So it created an instability, and, and it was very different. So um, Ron was good for me. I was looking for somebody solid that wouldn't move very much. So um, That's another whole story. Yeah, that's a whole right? other night. <laughs> okay. And um, our present um, home... Uh, our own children. Um, there's three of them. Some of you don't know them at all. Anthony actually, um, I think there's a picture to come up. Anthony actually started the church with us for three years. He was the worship leader and um, now is uh, married a girl from the church in Hawaii. So they are in Hawaii, but um, very good, stable kids, very always been involved in ministry wherever church he's in. And um, also just this last year started his own business with his the girls, um, they both are here at New Life with us. For those of you who don't know them, um, Lisa, the first one, is in the zone. Um, she has a master's in education, and she was just a fit for that in leading the team. And um, some of you know, probably know Angela. Um, you've encountered her in the lobby. You've heard her laugh and say, who is that? <laughs> you know, since this is on parenting me, I tell you that I tried to change she and Lisa's laugh almost the whole growing up, saying it was totally socially unacceptable to laugh that loud. And I always got bit on. People say, don't say that to them. Don't do that. That makes us laugh. So <laughs> I tried. <laughs> and um, let's see, I think that's, yeah, that's yeah, not it. Yeah. yeah. So, as Kevin said, and as Monica said, we're blessed with a great family. But Monica and I would be the first to tell you some of that is because of us, and some of that is in spite of us. Okay? So, we're going to share with you some things we did tonight. But the gap between that's because of us and in spite of us is where God filled in that gap. And He brought people into our children's lives that provided for them what we could not. And uh, so we're excited to share with you tonight um, some things that we did with our family. Now, um, early on, before our kids were born, we had a number of discussions when we were talking about becoming parents. And we said, okay, what do we want for our children? Because we didn't want to just jump in. And so we're going to share with you five goals that we had. This is our target for our family, so we would know what to aim at. And uh, most of that we decided before our first one was born, but uh, a couple of them we actually uh, tidied up and discussed after the kids were born. But long before our first child went to, went to kindergarten, we had these five goals for our family. The first one being that they would be uh, vibrant Christians. We really, at that point of our life, realized the difference between church attendees and people who really recognized 
um, the presence of God, and it was a partnership with them. That was our main goal. The second one was that our children would seek out and choose a close personal friendship with us. So that was down the road a ways because, as all of you know, you're not always popular with your children when you have to raise them and give them guidelines. So you're not always going to be friends with your kids. But we knew, and we did know that. We did understand that leadership and authority kind of thing. But we really were hoping that we could do it correctly so our kids would want to be friends with us because we'd seen a lot of the other. Sure. We also wanted our children to be lifelong learners. That learning and education, not necessarily going to a class, but we wanted them to have learning as a way of life and to love to learn. So we we built some strategies into our home and our parenting in order to uh, enable them to adopt learning as their chosen way of life. And then um, the fourth one was that we really wanted our children to um, be very exposed to and inclusive of um, a generational gaps, you know, overcoming that, being, being uh, with people, I'm saying that wrong, um, different cultures and different social strata. So we really wanted them to have amazing um, experiences so that they would be totally comfortable with the people that God made no matter where they were and, and see the value of each of those stages. And finally, we wanted them, to, when they left our home, to be great workers. We wanted them to have a good, solid work ethic. So when they went out and they got jobs, they would distinguish themselves in the workplace and they would be successful as, as, they, as they launched their careers. But along the way, there was a very disappointing discovery we made. So we looked around us and we looked at the people in our culture and we said, oh, if we evaluate the families in our culture against those five goals, um... Most families we knew were not doing well. And then we looked in the church, and the sad reality was many of the families in the church looked an awfully lot like families in the world, but with just sort of a Christian shell over it. And so that was disappointing to us, and it was like, okay, where do we turn for answers? Because we had a really important choice to make at that point, and that is, were we going to do what everyone else was doing around us and and convince ourselves to be satisfied with those kinds of results or would we dare to go against culture and do for our children what we thought was actually best for them no matter how much work it took and no matter how much criticism we got for it. And we prayed about that and we decided that we would do for our children what we thought was best for them no matter how much work it took and no matter how much criticism we got, and to our amazement, it took more work than we thought, and we got more criticism than we thought, too. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes that criticism was even within the church, not this church, but was even within the church where we were at the time. Pe- people who just didn't get it and, and were critical of us. Um, so uh, that, was our, that was our journey. We made that choice, but we still didn't know how to do it. We love those five things. So then we launched ourselves into how we're going to figure out how to do that. And uh, Monica will take us from there. So we were very intentional. We thought, wow, this is going to be a study. <laughs> we got to look for helps. And so very intentionally we did. We started looking for um, ways that we could learn from outside sources. And um, it kind of occurred to me that, you know, you go to driving classes and you go to... Um, 
all kinds of things to get your driver's license. You go to great extensive study in college to get ready for your career. And yet, when it comes to pairing and have a baby, it's all blue and pink and cutesy. And that's as far as it goes. So we really, we're kind of patting ourselves on the back. You know what? We'll just go at this intentionally and do it. So where we found our answers were um, in three different places. Um, one, we just decided that we wanted to go see what God said. And what we really kind of knew, but has have just amazed at the, long, the older we get, is that even though the Bible was written thousands of years ago, you know what? He wrote it in principles that would go over every millennium, every kind of culture. They're just basic principles that work. And that's the other thing. We both said, even though we may get criticism or it may go against the flow, if God said it, we're going to try it and do it. Because the one thing we both love, the Old Testament stories, um, because they're so showing uh, skin on Bible characters. So we said, you know what? The thing about it is, for every one of those Bible characters that went God's way, it worked out. And if they went against God, it didn't work out. So we thought, okay, that's going to be our number one yeah. place to get it. Absolutely. The second thing, that the second source that we looked to is as we looked around in our culture and in our church, there were some families that we just loved. We loved the relationship between the father and the mother. We love the relationship between the parents and the kids. We love the fact that when the parents said to the children, um, you go sit over there for a minute and I'll be there, the child actually went over and sat for a minute and waited for them, that there was this wholesomeness and this healthiness that took place in that relationship. And so you know what we did? We invited those people over. And we fed them dinner. And then we said, how do you do that? And then we listened. And we took notes. We said, why not learn from the people who are doing it and getting the results that we want to get? Mm-hmm. And I would encourage you, look around, find people that you love, how they're interacting with their children, and you love the fact that their children respect them and honor them and listen to them, and then invite them over to your house and listen. Because they might tell you more than we will today. <laughs> and the last thing we did was we kind of went outside of the known and um, since I had a little more time being at home, um, I started reading from child, Christian child psychologists, um, parenting books. Um, we went to even doctors, to just physical things on how to hit this whole package, put this whole package together. And then I would share them with Ron. And we got a wealth of information. It was wonderful. You can't listen to all those voices. But you know what? You can, when the Spirit's in you, you can absolutely feel ah, that one lands right on. That's how that's supposed to look. And that was a great feeling and a great education. So God blessed us with a child, and we headed off into the world of parenting with our brand new answers. (laughs) And we got tested. Um, Some days we got tested very severely, and it was a lot of work. And um, and Things happened that weren't in the books. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, uh, but you know something? Along the way, we learned a great principle that Monica and I want to share with you. Monica is going to share it with you. But, but we want it to be a huge encouragement for you. Take a look at this chart that uh, is going to be up on the screen and as Monica teaches you this principle. If our team can put up the, um, the pie chart. There it is right there. This circle represents a person's life. 
about 72 is what they say it averages, you know. So what we want you to see is we broke down parenting from 1 to about 18. Not that it ends there, and we're going to talk about that later. But what we really wanted to share with you, and those of you whose children are grown and gone, didn't it go that fast? Is that blow your mind? And we are really putting that chart up for the younger people to encourage them. Because I know those of you who have little um, one through fives, you feel like you've been there for 10 years and it's like going to be another 10. (laughs) But the truth of it is, before you know it, they are 10. And if you're like me, I cried all day one day because I realized Anthony had six more years at home. And I was like, oh my word, where did it all go? And I, I haven't done my job. But look, the thing that kind of always as an educator concerned me was that that little bit of our lifetime is given to the gift that God gives us in children. And then we have three quarters of a life to do what we want to do. And people get that backwards. They want to finish having fun. And the kids are kind of in the way by the time they're five and six. And they push them over and everything starts to fall apart because they don't want to be that mature or they don't want to be that intentional. And we just want to encourage you that they will be gone before you can blink three times and you get all the choices you want to make yourself. You can just get your little house to yourself and then by then you'll be an old softy and cry because they're gone. And that's especially the men, I think. Men, men do that. I've, I've seen that. <laughs> so before we move on to, we're going to break down the rest of what we say into four, four different categories, four stages. But before we do that, we want to put out just a little um, word to those of you who have special needs children and those single parents. We want to talk about that for a minute. We don't want to say what we're saying to make you feel um, at all that if your child was normal or if you had a mate, it maybe would work out good. I, I want to encourage you that God knew when he created mankind that this time would happen, that you would lose a mate or you would be on your own or your child would be a special needs child. And he said, I will be to you a father I will be a father to those who are orphaned. I will be a father to those who are fatherless. Don't ever, ever put yourself in a box and underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Even special needs children need guidance, and they need. Don't excuse bad behavior to their illness, because I've seen some of the most beautiful families, functioning families, who have pretty severely limited children, who they've put the time and the work into them, and they're awesome. And I have decided that special needs children could teach all of us a few things about life if you have ever been very close to one. And so please take that into consideration. If you're a single parent, take what we're saying not as, I wish I was like you and Ron, but go and say, what could I do to take it the next step so that I can get all of the blessing that a married couple could have? You will not get gypped. You will not if you follow the principles that, you know, we're sharing and there's more out there to share. So the first thing we'll do is stages one through five. And um, most of my teaching was in the kindergarten time. This is a special stage for me to talk about. Um, I just want to say that uh, the most important thing you do, you're starting out your parenting and you've got child number one. And you've got the baby thing down. Just make the room cute, comfortable, and quiet. 
maybe everything will go good. But, you know, they kind of grow out of that about, what, 12 to 18 months, and they're rattling the cage, you know, the old um, the crib, crib yeah. you know, and that's the beginning. As soon as they're out of that crib, but you know what? We were talking about this with special needs children and all of those things. You know, calm children come out of calm homes. Can I tell you that? And I'm not particularly a calm person. I love to do fun, exciting things. The, child, the children's lives were full of my surprises. But I do know that some very nice background music and having a routine that you stick to that those kids know, oh, i got to be home by 530 because this is going to happen. Oh, yeah, we go to bed at... And I could tell you I'm still working in a school, and it blows me away that children are eating supper at 8.30 and going to bed around 10, and they're 6 and 7. That will not produce what you want. You need Kids need routine. They come out of the womb with a routine. They poop on time. They yell for food on time. Some of them have a little trouble burping, and they sleep. And then you start over. Right? So just, they still need that, guys. That's what brings calmness to the whole thing. So if, in that setting, be really, um, I loved it that we, we um, would try to treat them calmly when they were just having a meltdown and just say, nope, this is what we do in our home and just very carefully keep it calm. But I can tell you both of us inside were going, help, because we didn't know what we're doing. But we did know. Be calm and let the kids know everything's going to be okay. It's going to work out. That's really important. We also um, used consequences from an early age for behaviors that were not acceptable. Now, not just acceptable to us, but knowing what the child is going to enter when they get into preschool or kindergarten, what life's going to hold them. You begin to teach them biting is not okay. Um, you, Tearing all the top, the uh, cords out of the back of the stereo TV, not okay. Um, those are just extreme things, but staying very, very. Um, we tried to make rules that weren't empty rules, and they knew there was going to be a consequence if they broke that rule. And that's just consistency and calmness. And then um, God quickly uh, told us very that if we didn't get the obedience and the authority lined up with God and in good shape by five years old, hang on to your seatbelt because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Yes, your teachers in your classrooms have to learn how to work with your kids. But, you know, if we do our homework, they go into those situations just soaking in the funness of school and the funness of their new friends. And they're not always in trouble because we did our work. And that was, that was really important for us. And um, the side benefits, this is important. From that, if you work on that from birth to five, you will have, your child will have great self-control for their age. They will be able to focus. They can sit still while the teacher reads them a story. They can get along with other children. They can take turns in telling stories. Those are great life skills, if you'll think about it from an adult standpoint back. And it also keeps your home from being run by a two-year-old or a five-year-old, which turns into a 13-year-old to a very demanding 16-year-old. You do not want a child-centered home. You want them to learn to get along in your little community 
so that they'll get along in a bigger community. Do you see where that's going? So it's really important to do that. And the rewards of it were so special. When you take a preschooler to a restaurant at a sit-down dinner, and people actually stop and say, wow, seeing you walk in with those three little kids was making us a little bit nervous. Ron has a story later about it. But you know what? Your kids were awesome to watch. And you just like, oh, that's just like a drink in a desert because you're so tired of chasing preschoolers. <laughs> okay, Ron, you're in stage two. Yes, so the first stage of parenting is about obedience. The second stage of parenting, you move. If you can think of a continuum of control, and when your child is first born, you control everything about them. You have to. They can't control anything. Okay? But the clock is ticking because by the time they're 18, they're going to walk out the front door of your house, and your control over them is going to be nothing. They have to manage their whole life. So that's a big job. So every stage of parenting... You are releasing control, but you're teaching them how to control their own life. So in the first years, it's all about discipline because you're teaching them obedience, how to begin to take control of their, of their own life. The second stage is the training years. And in the training years, you're trying to train them with good life habits. This is the time when you teach them about hygiene and that they should brush their teeth every day. This is the time when you teach them to make their bed. And they should make their bed every day. And how to pick up their room. And how to keep their world neat and orderly. This is, this is the, these are the years when you teach them how to do homework. And how to formulate good study habits. You're teaching them for the first time how to select friends at school. And how to build friendships. And how to navigate some of that stuff. You're teaching them actually good life habits. And you're training them in that. Now, if you haven't taught them how to obey... It's difficult to train them in life habits, correct? Yeah. But if you do this well, Monica was, was talking about um, one of the strategies we had for our children was that they would be comfortable in all cultures and around all generations in all social strata. And so she came to me one day and said, you know, our children, and I think they were probably ages 6, 8, and 10. Uh, by the way, we always took our children to restaurants we believe that if we taught them how to obey, they would not ruin the restaurant experience, even if they were small. Okay, So at 6, 8, and 10, we decided to take them to a fine dining restaurant called Der Rheinlander. Okay? Chinese food. No, it wasn't Chinese food. Der Rheinlander was German food, right? A great German restaurant. It was a great restaurant to take our kids to because they brought out accordions and they played and they sang and... But I, it was a three-hour dining experience. Mm -hmm. And it was all the courses and it was all the silverware. So we did the work ahead of time and we told the kids this is how it happens. And we actually set up our dining room table at home with all of the forks and spoons and everything right where they would be. And we went through some training because we wanted this to be an enjoyable evening for them. But fast-forwarding to the end of that story, by the end of that evening... No less than four different couples had come up to our table and said to our children, you guys are amazing. Now, you know what that did for them? That was awesome for them. But the last couple particularly was fun for me because they were an older couple. And, and older means older than you are, all right? So whatever age you are, they were older <laughs> than that, all right? And they came up to our table, and they were the last couple, and they said, 
You know, when we saw you walk in here with your children, we almost got up and walked out. Because we were going to spend good money on a quiet evening with just the two of us. And when you walked in with three kids and you sat one table away from us, it was like, oh, please. <laughs> but they said, we have, we have sat here and watched your family, and it has been the delight of our evening. You have made our night. You know, when you train children with good life skills, it just sets them up. Okay? So that was all about training life skills. The next stage is 12 to 18. And in this stage, you're backing off. Now you're a coach. And every coach knows you're not actually in the game. You don't play the game. And the truth is, when your kids get to be junior and senior high, you're not in the game. You still have tremendous influence, but they're the ones living the game. They're the ones going to school. They're the ones who are dealing with all the peer pressure. They're the ones doing the homework, or supposed to be doing the homework, not you, right? They're the ones who are in the game. But as a coach, coaches don't tell their players what to do. See, when your child is small and they're they're being influenced by a friend, you tell them, don't do that. Right? And if you want to know more about that, you can come to Q&A and ask the questions about specifically how do you train children for first-time obedience and all that stuff. But when your child is in junior high or high school and you don't like their behavior and you think they're being influenced by another person at school, you don't say to them, I don't like that behavior out of you. I don't like the way you behave when you're around them. I want you to put distance between you and that person. Because, no, coaches don't do that. Coaches say, hey, can we sit down and talk for a minute? And when they sit down, you say, you know, I've noticed that you've been hanging out with so-and-so. And I have a question for you. Do you like how you feel and your behavior when you're around them? And then you listen. Nine times out of ten, your teenager is going to give you the right response. Are you talking about this behavior? They know what the behavior is. Yeah. We watch parents go, okay, I want you to quit that behavior. No, that's not what coaches say. Coaches ask another question. Okay, what do you think you should do about that behavior? You see, you're in a whole different gear. Now, if you have teenagers and you have toddlers, you better get used to the clutch and shifting. Okay? Because when your toddler asks you a question, you got to shift down in first gear and you got to respond as a parent of a toddler should. And then when your teenager comes and asks you a question five minutes later, you got to be able to get that thing in high gear and you got to, and you got to be able to respond as a coach would respond. And you can do that. Okay? You can do that. But you have to know what stage your children are so that your responses to them are what they should be. You really do have to shift your brain. Yes. I know we were having, um, somebody asked us if we had tough times with the kids. (coughs) And I I had to say, we had one major meltdown with each one. And um, thankfully they weren't all at the same time. (coughs) But um, it was Anthony, is the one I remember. And you said to me, you have got to shift brains and be a different kind of mother. 
And I was so offended, so hurt, you know, sore to the heart. Because I thought I was just doing such a great job of helping him and da-da-da-da-da. And I, I do want to say at this time, this these two stages that Ron talked about are the ones that, those are the ones that, man, you have to step up to. You really, if you can tell why God made it that way. You think different than we do. And even if your personality and your style of parenting is different, it's really important that you switch brains. But we women have to do some switching. Because you know how they say that women have, you know, it's about twenty to 30,000 more words a day than men. And you guys all laugh about it. But let me tell you where they're used up. It's used up in guiding children when they're little. And those first years of grade school, I mean, it's endless to the point we're tired of talking. And, you know, Ron said, you need to switch brains and start asking questions was one thing. And he began to explain to me what that, this is my first one. And he said, I can see that you need to switch brains. And it was the best advice. It really helped us over that hurdle. Yeah, in the Q&A time, we can get into more detail Mm -hmm. about that. So now we're down to this last stage of the 18 plus years. And they're called the friendship years. And the objective of that point of time is to hope that your children are now wanting to come back and be friends with you and share almost like a peer to them. Now, if you do your homework in the early years, and I know I said one to five, but if you're just at this and your kids are six to seven, something like that, you still, you can. Ron calls them weekend, hell, hellish weekends. Three days of hell, yes. <laughs> you know, and you say, okay, there's going to be a change in commander here, and we're going to do things differently, and you can actually get this turned around. But if you go through these kind of um, gear changing and keeping some main things the main thing, you know, the respect, your children should respect you. You should live respectable. You should be fun for your children. They should say, oh, my word, I love being with my parents. They come up with the funnest things to do. Oh, they try things. You know, you're, they're learning. You're surprising them with things. Those are huge in their book. They really want to do that. So, yeah, they're going to go through that pushing the old fence like a wild horse, you know. They want out. They want to run. But, you know, you they will respect you if you have been respectable in saying, you know what, you're not quite ready for that. Uh, we had one child who kept saying from the time they were about 13. Um, now, and we won't name names, but she had two siblings to watch. Now, when is that dating age? When, when do we get to date? And I'd say, oh, there is no exact time on it. Well, why isn't there exact time? Well, we've kind of decided that we would like to see um, how much we can trust you. I guess it's kind of in your court because that's how we do it. Really? Well, the bad thing was is her two siblings weren't doing too much dating. They were doing more group dating. But that kind of bothered that there wasn't this, this place. And we really did treat it as if, you know what, we just want to see respect and obedience and those same little things from one through five so that we knew that we could trust them. Um, yeah, you know, there's some variances in there, but you'll all agree with me. Uh, we need to be able to trust our kids before you let them out with the car and and somebody else. So if those have all been fun, this last part is just like the dessert. It just kind of comes. Kids want to be with you. And it was wonderful because our family kind of fell apart. We were in Hawaii. The girls went to school on the the mainland. Um, Anthony had got, you know, there was just 
he was in a whole different stage of his his career and his schooling. And yet it was so fun that when we landed here, two out of the three wanted to know if we were going to stay here and they wanted to move to have their families with us. That's a great, now you're getting to be peers. That's really fun. You know, you have to step out. Like Ron said, you don't get any say anyhow. So (laughs) in their life, and it's good that you don't, they have to have their own experience like you did and we did, but um, it was really special to have our children. And to this day, they ask questions. They'll be back out when there's a meltdown in their family with the kids, and they'll come back later and go, what would you have done? That's a great, that's a great feeling. You don't have all the answers, but you have to go back. It takes you back and think, what would we do? So mm-hmm. it's a good time. Very good. We come in closing with um, just kind of three general principles that we thought we could summarize this in. One is that small chunks of time invested in your children are far more profitable and um, influential than taking big chunks of time. And what we mean by that is some people get so hung into their careers, and this is not a major, you know, disciplining children or having children help them grow up is not their main emphasis. So they'll just take off two to three weeks and say, we're going to vacation together once a year. Those are great. Vacations are great. But listen to this. If you sit down at the table and eat together, literally make it a, this is what we'll do. And then when one of them misses, it's an exception. Well, you sit together and you start out your day together. That's what we really worked on. I got up way ahead. I was a teacher. I had to have my stuff together before they woke up. Because then I'm a mother. And so I would get up extra early to help them with that process. We'd sit to eat, and then everybody's rocket would take off. And we actually even did that clear through high school. And um, the supper time we did um, in the winter in Oregon, it was gray and, and damp, and I just decided that I wanted to use cloth nap- napkins and candles. And it's like, oh, who's coming over? You know, that was their first thing. And I know, you know, it's, it's us. It's just us. They got accustomed to that, and boy, that, and I've told people... Put on some classical music is literally good for calming down situations. When I ended up my career in sixth grade, I actually turned that on when I'd say, okay, now you work on that, and I'll come around and see if you need help. Boop, I went to classical music. Ooh, went to sixth grade voices. It was wonderful. But try that. Try something very calming in the background. And your kids will begin to talk, you talk. Um, It's a beautiful time. So we've decided that family times around the table, and in the car trips, those kind of things are great for conversation and go a long ways. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I think many people would find it hard to imagine, but it's true. Most nights when our kids were teenagers, we ate a homemade meal by candlelight around the table at least four nights a week. Okay? Um, so, yeah, it can be done, and it was actually really good for us. Second, second thing is... We chose never to put our children on restriction or to ground them. We never saw anything good come out of that. And so we chose different kinds of consequences. There are multiple reasons for that. But the biggest reason is when you ground a child for a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is, you actually punish the whole family for that time because someone has to stay home with the kid. And usually what you've grounded them for is not related at all to what they've done that's wrong. And plus... 
they get no relief for three weeks. Okay. Or you fudge and break it because you realize you, it's too long. And that just ding right. on your... So we decided level. that when we would have consequences for our children, that they would be significant consequences, they would be immediate, and they would be short-term. That way, you know, if, if they misbehaved and they did something that they shouldn't have done with a friend and they were supposed to go to a friend's house for the weekend or, or, or for a sleepover, we would say, I'm sorry, but you lost your privilege to do that. But it was over in one day. It was all done, and, 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 and then we could move on, and everything is fresh, and everything is new, and that's all good. So we just specifically chose not to do uh, any form of, of grounding. And we have one more principle, and then I'll give you a couple things as we go. <laughs> and going with what Ron said, um, I don't know if you all know this, but there's a verse um, David wrote in Psalms, and it said, he was praising God because God would renew his mercies to us fresh every morning. And that's what we, be careful when they're little and, and growing up in their awkward middle years. You know, the words, you always do that. Oh, I can count on you to act like that. Those derogatory, you know, that is not applying what God's saying. If God gives us brand new clean slate in the mornings, then we should do that with children because that gives them hope that what they got in trouble for yesterday and you still love them, which is the third principle. And that is, no matter what the discipline or the consequence, and they, that is part of healthy, healthy, normal life, <clears throat> whatever it is, leave your child with the impression that you are on their side. I see that every relationship is like a bank. The love, the praise, the um, appreciation statements that you make to your children um, especially those that are the, the naughtiest, the ones that are the hardest for you to deal with, you always need to be looking for what could you say that's positive. And it might be little, but it will add up because it's like a bank. All those statements go in, and that's you want that, that money level to rise. But yelling and nagging and derogatory, sarcasm, um, not doing what you said you would do, those are withdrawals. And sometimes some of the naughtiest children are just trying to do things to get your attention. Yeah, you'd think they'd be smarter than that, but you know what? They're just little people. And I used to say to them, I know you're trying to get my attention, but I don't think you're going to like the attention I'm going to give you. And it took them a while to get that. I tried to explain a little bit. But if you want to talk to me, come talk to me. If you need me, tell me you need me but this is not behavior that's going to get the right kind of attention. But I loved it when Ron would have to come down hard on, on one of the kids, and <clears throat> he would always touch them, and we did. We're a touchy family, and lots of that. And so he would always touch them if they were severely wrong. He wouldn't go into the tickle mode or the giggle or the joke mode that he usually lived in, um, but he would... <laughs> He would just pat him and, and say, you know how much I love you. But in an hour, you might find him doing jokes and that kind of thing so that he knew life is back to normal. And that's what you want. You want your kids, all those four stages, to know that you might not have done life the way they're doing it, but you love them and you're proud to be their parent. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should give <clears throat> one warning before we close. Um, what do you do... Stages, ages one to five, you're to teach them discipline. What do you do if you get past that and you haven't taught them that? 
Stages 5 to 12, you're to focus on life habits. Usually what happens is parents don't panic about their kids until they're teenagers. And then they realize, I have a non-compliant child with terrible life habits. And then the parents want to say, now I'm going to control my child. You can't do that. Okay? You're in the coaching stage. All you can do is coach. You can't control. That horse left the barn. You understand what I'm saying? Because you know what happens when you try to control a teenager? And you, even when they're acting like a five-year-old, when you try to treat them like a five-year-old, they will rebel against you so fast. Mm-hmm. So if what you've heard from us today, if your children are past five years of age or they're past 12 years of age, don't, don't step in and think, okay, now we're going to teach them obedience and compliance. It just simply won't work. It'll make it worse. It drives them we have some strategies for, how you can, for what you can do with those children, but, but, but don't make that mistake because you'll just embitter your children. There's a couple of ways you can apply this, okay? No matter where you are in the family process, it would be good for you to take some time and think, if I were going to improve my family and set some goals for how I interact with my family and what my family could be, what would those be? We had five, okay? You might not have five, you might have three. Whatever they are, Write them down and pray about them a day at a time. Take this day, take Monday, and pray about whatever the first one is. Take Tuesday and pray about the second one. Take Wednesday and pray about the third one. If you only got three, on Thursday go back to number one. Okay? Because the thing is, if you, if you don't set these and you don't pray about them, they will never actually come to pass in your life. But when you pray about them, God will begin to give you insight into how to make that a reality in your family. And then the last thing is, um, in our church, we always give people the opportunity to make the choice to become a Christian every time we meet. So you'll see there's the opportunity to check on your Connect card that you're deciding to become a Christian. And if you haven't made that decision and you're ready to, make it tonight. By all means, even though you think it has nothing to do with parenting, that's okay. It's, It's still a great time to become a Christian. Let's pray. Father, Monica and I together pray for our friends who are at different stages of parenting and they've heard a lot of information and and hopefully you're going to take what we've said and you're going to translate it for them so that they know how it might apply in their children's lives and in their family's life so that they could have a great family and so that they could just thoroughly enjoy their children at whatever stage they are now for the rest of their lives. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.